0: AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, a teardrop turn between two ridgelines in IMC? Sounds dangerous. Find out the grim results in Deadly Decisions by Gary Deck. It was January 1974. The future was bright, or so I thought. I had just completed my formal education after returning from Vietnam only 22 months earlier. I was ready and anxious to land a job flying for American, Delta, Eastern, or United Airlines. My timing couldn't have been worse. The country was in the middle of what we were calling a fuel crisis. The airlines were not expanding. With no immediate job prospects, I decided it would be a good time to pursue my airline transport rating, later changed to Airline Transport Pilot, or ATP. Raleigh-Durham Aviation offered ATP training and was also a Cessna dealer, so I trained in a brand new Cessna 310Q. Immediately after my checkride, the airplane was sold to a business in Richlands, Virginia. A day or two later, the salesman who sold the 310 called and asked me if I would be interested in a job flying a beach baron for a business also based in Richlands, Virginia. The pilot currently flying the baron was going to work for the company that had just bought the 310. I said I was interested, so he told me to catch an early flight the next day to Tri-Cities, Tennessee, where the pilot leaving the job flying the baron would meet me. I arrived early the next morning. The pilot from Richlands was a nice guy, a couple of years older than me. He had come to the United States to attend flight school and build flight experience with plans to return to Denmark and fly for the country's airline. We departed Tri-Cities with me at the controls and headed for Richlands. I had not taken the time to familiarize myself to the area, so I simply followed his instructions. Arriving over Richlands a short time later, he advised me to begin my descent and start a teardrop turn to the right. He explained that we had just passed over the town of Richlands. He knew that because he had tuned in the AM radio station located in downtown Richlands on the ADF. He said I needed to maintain a 750 feet per minute descent while turning. As we entered the clouds, he told me to tighten the turn. I was already in a standard rate turn, but I complied and we soon broke out of the clouds at about a thousand feet above the ground with the small town of Richlands in front of us. That's when it dawned on me we had just descended between two ridge lines and into a valley. I asked the pilot if he regularly flew into and out of Richlands using this method, and he said he did. He told me it was no big deal, just cross the AM radio station on a heading of 030 degrees and descend at a rate of 750 feet per minute while making a teardrop turn to the right. At greater than standard rate, right? I added. I learned the owner of the Baron had grown accustomed to operating out of Richlands even at night as long as ceilings were at least a thousand feet. Not me. Once on the ground, the pilot wished me luck and departed. Around 5 p.m., the lobby erupted. Two men and two women entered, walking fast, with the guy in the lead talking loudly. As they entered, the guy in the lead saw me and said, You must be the pilot from Raleigh. I acknowledged that I was, so he said, File for Merritt Island, Florida, and let's get going. I filed an IFR flight plan, and we were soon off the ground. The owner sat up in front with me, which was fine, until he reached up and retarded the throttles right after breaking ground. I put my hand up to stop him, but he had already pulled them back to climb power. He informed me the engines would last longer if we didn't keep them at full power so long. I told him I had learned most engine failures occur at first power reduction, so I preferred to wait until reaching a couple of hundred feet before reducing to climb power. It was certainly a debatable point, and it was his airplane, so nothing else was said. We landed in Merritt Island, Florida at about 8.30 p.m. I was looking forward to getting to a hotel and kicking back, but it was not to be. While taxiing in to the FBO, the owner said, Okay, go back to Richlands and pick up three guys that will be waiting for you and bring them down here. I was stunned. It was at that moment I decided I would not be taking this job. I thought I would do as he asked, knowing this would be the last time I would be subjected to him. I refueled the airplane, filed an IFR flight plan for Bluefield, West Virginia, "'and took off heading north. "'Bluefield was the closest airport to Richlands "'with an instrument approach. "'If the weather was good enough, "'I would cancel the IFR flight plan "'and fly visually to the desired destination. "'Not tonight. "'The weather at the destination wasn't too bad, "'but it would be late, and I would be tired, "'so I called ahead and told my passengers "'to meet me in Bluefield. "'It was a little after midnight when I arrived.' The weather wasn't too bad, but bad enough to require an instrument approach. I was glad I made the decision to meet my passengers in Bluefield. Putting on fuel and filing an IFR flight plan back to Merritt Island took only a half hour or so, and my three excited and well-lubed passengers and I were off for the final flight of the day. After takeoff, the tower released me to departure control about the time I entered the clouds. A minute or two after contacting departure control, I lost communications. All engine and navigation instruments were working fine. Everything was good except my communication radios. I turned them off and back on. I checked the circuit breakers. No good. I couldn't hear the controllers, and I presumed they couldn't hear me. My clearance was to expect 9,000 feet 10 minutes after departure. So, 10 minutes into the flight, I climbed to 9,000 feet from my initially assigned altitude. I had already changed my transponder to Squawk 7600. When the radio suddenly started working after a couple of hours, I contacted Jacksonville Center and was asked twice who I was. Later that day, I briefed the owner about the radio problem. He said I could take the airplane to Daytona and have it repaired, which I did. After two days in Merritt Island, I flew the owner and three others back to Richlands, Virginia. I rode with the owner to his office, and he informed me how much he was going to pay me to fly for him. I told him I wouldn't be taking the job. He paid me for my time, reimbursed me for my airline flight, and had me driven to Tri-Cities Airport for my flight back to Raleigh. Sadly, the story doesn't end there. A couple of weeks later, I got a call from the salesman who had sold the Cessna 310. He told me the Danish pilot, with four passengers aboard, had flown the new 310 into the side of a mountain just outside of Richlands. According to the NTSB report, the weather at the time was 700 feet overcast, raining with wind of 250 degrees at 12 knots. The aircraft impacted terrain at 3,200 feet at 2015 on February 28, 1974. I can only surmise he didn't adequately account for how much the 12 knots of wind would stretch his teardrop, so much it no longer would fit within the valley. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earle. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.